Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. With it being Father's Day, of course, we're emphasizing this uh, relationship of fathers with sons, and we're taking a look at an individual that maybe does not come to mind immediately as a father in the Bible. You know, a lot of times you think about fathers in the Bible, you think about these individuals, you might think about Abraham, think about Isaac, you might think about Jacob and his sons, you might think about David, and you know, there's a lot of individuals in the Bible that we might uh, pick out and look at and think about and study, and, uh, but Paul is not one of these that immediately comes to mind, usually, but you see his heart here in verse number 11, that last verse that we read, where he says, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. Now, Paul, of course, is not talking to his real children, not his biological children. He's talking to a church. He's talking to, uh, it's maybe not even right to say his spiritual children, because if you are saved, you're a child of God. But in a way, he kind of thought of them as his kids, that he was one who had invested into these kids to see them to be born again. And then he's laboring for them, helping them, encouraging them in the same way that a father would with his children. And you see how in some of the verses he's emphasizing his interaction with them, just like a father would with his children. And he notes his sacrifice for them. In verse number six, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. So he's thinking about, you know, we didn't come in here in order to get something from you. We wanted to come in to help you and to lift the burden off of you. I mean, that's what fathers do. You know, the fathers, we carry all of the things and, you know, we carry the luggage, we carry the groceries, you know, you take the burdens off of the kids when it's, when it's too heavy and uh, you want to be a help and a bur- uh, uh, lift those burdens off. And that's what Paul is doing for these little kids in the Lord. And it says in verse number seven, but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse, cherisheth her children. So even though this apostle, the apostle Paul, he of course has great spiritual strength in the Lord and uh, really could have used that in a different kind of a way. But we know that here is Paul, he's limiting his strength, just like a father would with his children. You know, if a father has a son and they're wrestling around in the living room, he's not using his full strength to, you know, put him on the ground and stuff like that. You know, he's, he's holding back because he knows that his kid can't really handle all of the strength of the father. And so he's being gentle with them. He's being appropriate. He's trying to help them and not be too much, not be too rough, not to bruise the child, not to hurt the child. Uh, But he's, you know, and so he's thinking about all of these things. Verse number eight. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls because you were dear unto us. So Paul is an apostle, and his role, as he is called by the Holy Spirit, is to go, to preach the gospel, to plant churches, to to have ministers to be ordained, to pastor the churches. You know, that's kind of his role. That's his ministry. And he could have very easily gone into a city, 
preached the gospel, saw people to be saved, and said, all right, my job's done here, and moved on. But you see that his heart is one of not just, I don't want to just see people to be saved, I want to help them. I want to father them. I want to raise them up. Not just to have a son and to say, well, all right, I did my job. See you later. I hope it goes well. But to be involved in their lives, to help them, to encourage them, to build them up. And so he says, I, I wasn't just willing to give you the gospel and see you to be saved. That, of course, being the most important thing. That's the most important thing that somebody be saved, trust in Christ as their savior, have their sins to be forgiven and to have eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul says that that's not the heart of a father. A father says, I want to be there. I want to help them. I want to raise them as much as I can. And that was his heart as well to sacrifice for the children. In verse number nine, for ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. So as a minister of the gospel, as a missionary, as an apostle, his uh, rights, if we want to put it that way, were to be able to go into a city to preach the gospel, see the church to be planted, teach them the word of God, teach them the doctrine of God, and then also have them to support him financially. He is serving them spiritually, and they were to support him financially. But he said, knowing that you all were young kids, I withheld that. I withheld that because I knew, you know, you guys are little kids. I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea here. I want to be like a father would sacrificing for his kids, just like fathers do today. You know, we labor and we don't expect our five-year-olds to go out and say, all right, you, you got to bring in $5 today somehow. Go figure it out, you know? Oh, we don't do that. You know, we know they're little kids, you know? And so we sacrifice, we serve, and we, we provide for them until they're able to grow up to be strong and to support themselves. There will be a time for that. But early on, you know, the fathers support the children. That's what Paul is doing. Paul is saying, as an apostle, I could have said, hey, this is your job to support me. But he knew these are just newly saved believers. I don't want to be overly burdensome on them. And so he actually went and he worked himself to support himself so that he would not be a burden on the little kids. And so we see all of these examples of Paul as a father, sacrificing for the kids and, and serving them and, and knowing they can't handle everything. So I have to lift some of the burden off of them. I have to sacrifice for them. I have to support them and, uh, until they are ready to do some of these things. And so you see that fatherly heart in Paul for these believers, for this new church, and he didn't really care credit who gets the glory he just wants them to grow up and to be strong and to to be in the lord we also see in verse number 10 that he gives a an example to the kids in verse number 10 ye are witnesses and god also how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believed you know paul was not one of the fathers who would do as i say not as i do you know, he was one that would say, here's what you should do, and I'm going to show you what to do. And I'm going to demonstrate that for you. And I'm going to show you what it means to be loving. 
I'm going to show you what it means to be forgiving. I'm going to show you what it means to be enduring. These are some of the things that maybe a father would show, how to work hard, how to do what is right, how to have integrity and character. And uh, we have these roles in the home. And, and Paul was not one to just say, well, this is what God told you to do. You guys need to do it. And, uh, and he would just go off and live a, a worldly, wicked life. He was living that life himself and able to show the kids all right, this is what you need to do. And there's a powerful example there for fathers who bring their children to the church, but then also when they go home, demonstrate that for the children, to demonstrate a personal relationship with the Lord, to demonstrate what it means to be faithful, to demonstrate what it means to be loving, to be forgiving, also to be firm and say, no, this is what is right. This is what we will do. This is what we should do. And to have that expectation. And, and you have all of these things that fathers do for their kids and uh, to make a stand and to love them and to encourage them and sometimes even discipline them when they go off track to try to bring them back on track. And these are the things that fathers do. And it's especially important, the example that they give them. But of course, in many ways, what we think about in terms of fathering is we think about guidance. Uh, that's kind of some of the uh, pictures or uh, big ideas that we think about fathers. What should fathers do for their kids? They should guide them. They should lead them. They should show them the way that they should go. In verse number 11, he says, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. So he's saying, I'm coming alongside of you and charging you as a father doth his children that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. So he's saying, all right, these are all of the things that uh, I'm doing in order that you would walk worthy of God. Follow God. Uh, listen to the Lord. Obey the Lord. Love the Lord. Uh, put him as first in your life. Walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. And he uses these words, exhorted, comforted, and charged. The word exhort means to come alongside of. And I think there's a great example there for fathers. That fathers don't sit at the back and, and yell out to their kids, this is what you should be doing. You need to do that. What a father does is he comes alongside of his kids and he says, all right, this is what we need to do. This is what you need to do. And coming alongside is so powerful, not just standing at the back and pushing the kids forward, but to stand alongside of them and say, this is what we do as believers. This is what we do as men. This is what you're going to do as a father maybe one day or whatever the case might be. But there's a great example there. So Paul is not just kind of shouting out to them, this is what you should do. He's coming alongside of them and saying, all right, let's go and do this. Let's walk worthy of God. The next word is the word comfort. And it has the idea of speaking to someone in a friendly way. All right. Fathers, of course, carry authority in the home and they carry authority over their children. But only using authority, I think, is only part of what is fathering. Fathers need to come alongside of them and to also speak to them in a friendly way. In, in one sense of, of what maybe has been done to console them. You know, when your kids maybe do their very best, but they don't get the result that they wanted. 
Maybe they tried their best in a game and they didn't score any goals or they didn't win the game. Maybe they're doing their best at school, but you know, they didn't get the grade that they were hoping for or whatever the case might be. To have a father to come alongside and to console them, to help them, to encourage them or in terms of what needs to be done to admonish them and to guide them in the way that they should go. Paul is charging them and saying, all right, this is what you need to do, need to do and firmly insisting this is the path that you should be going on. Firmly, consistently, alongside of them. And you see that Paul is having this fatherly heart and spirit. He's coming alongside of them. He's sacrificing for them. He's demonstrating before them. He's praying for them. He's loving them. He's encouraging them. He's speaking to them in a gentle manner, day by day, as much as he could. And he's been doing all of this, not just for this church, but for other churches as well. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and as we get into chapter number 3, I want to see the result of this kind of fathering. As we see Paul sacrificing, as we see Paul serving, as we see Paul loving and encouraging and coming alongside of, uh, of these believers, what is the result of that kind of labor and sacrifice and service for the children? And we see three children or three kinds of kids that are the result of fathering like this. The first of it is kids who are saved. Kids who are saved. Verse number 13. For this cause, also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. So you see what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is, I've been doing all of these things. I've been serving. I've been laboring. I've been investing. I've been sacrificing. I've been suffering and doing all of these things for you all. What is the result of that? Their salvation. You know what he did? He came in there and he lived according to the word of God. And what he did was he said, this is the word of God that you need to believe. And then he lived in a way that demonstrated this is what the word of God is. This is what the word of God says. And this is not just a theory to me. This is something that I believe and something that I live and something that I do. And when those uh, people in the city saw that, they trusted the word of God. This is not just the word of Paul. This is not just the word of some church. This is not just the word of some religion. This is the word of God. And they trusted it. And they trusted the gospel that Jesus Christ was who he said he was, the son of God. Not just a man, not just a teacher, not just a rabbi, not just a leader, not just a good example, but as it is in truth, that he was the son of God, that he came and that he was born of a virgin and he died on the cross for your sins the sins of the whole world and he was buried and three days later he rose again from the dead so that we might have cleansing from sin and so here is paul he's giving the word and he's living in such a way and these individuals that heard the word received the word and they were saved i mean what a powerful opportunity for fathers to be the first demonstration of what it means to follow god that they will see in the home that the Bible is not just a theory. It's not just something that the pastor believes. It's not just something that the church believes. 
It's not just something that my friends believe. It's something that my father believes. And I see it. And I see what he does. And I see how he speaks. And I see how he lives. This Bible must be real. It must be true. It must be something that is not just a man's book. It must be God's book because I see my father and I see what he does. And I see how he lives according to the Bible. And he's been telling me that I'm a sinner. And the wages of sin is death. And, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want to do that. And what a wonderful blessing it is for fathers who are able to live and demonstrate that in the home, that the Bible is real, that the Bible is the word of God. And in the word of God is the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that sacrifice for your sins, and that you could be saved. Praise the Lord. Here's that first result of fathers who live according to the word of God, able to demonstrate that. Third John verse four says, I have no greater truth or no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Oh, there's no greater joy than to see that they were saved and then also walking in in the Lord. So we see this first child of the godly father that we see here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. The second child that we see is kids who are standing. Kids who are standing. In chapter 2 of verse, uh, verse number 14 of chapter number 2, we read, For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. So he says, all right, so you heard the word of God and you got saved. Praise the Lord. And then you became followers of the churches in Judea. So where is Judea? That's, of course, Israel. Uh, in the city of Jerusalem, that's where the very first church started out of Jerusalem, other churches were started. And from there, now we have churches all over the world. And so he's saying that, all right, here in this fir these first churches in Judea, they were planted and they grew and then they suffered persecution. And he's saying, you all in this area, in this city of Thessalonica, you have followed in that example that you have faced suffering just like those churches. You have faced persecution just like those churches. Now, what kind of persecution did they face? In verse number 15, he elaborates, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins all way, for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. So Paul is saying, here, let me tell you about the persecution that was there in Jerusalem. Now, Paul would have a very unique perspective on the persecution because he was the one doing the persecuting. He was on the side of the lost. He was on the side of those that were persecuting the church. And so you remember what Paul was doing. Remember Stephen, uh, uh, one of the first deacons there in the church? He was preaching the word of God, and they did not like what he had to say, and they stoned him. And the Bible says that they all took off their robes, and they laid them at the feet of Saul. 
who eventually would become Paul. And so Paul was there at that very first martyrdom. He saw and oversaw the stoning of Stephen. So he saw Stephen to be stoned, but it didn't end there. Paul took that zeal that he had in his heart and he went and he started persecuting other Christians there in Jerusalem. And so he wanted to find all of the Christians that were there in the city and he would go to their homes and he would pull them out of their homes and drag them off to jail. And, and so people were getting arrested, Christians were getting killed, and he wasn't satisfied just to stamp out Christianity and the church in his hometown. Uh, it's not his hometown, but where he was living. He was not satisfied with that. You remember that he went over to the city of Damascus with the intent also of stamping out Christianity there. And so he got some legal authority and he went over to the city. And on the way there, you remember who he met. He met the Savior that he was persecuting. And God, in a miraculous way, spoke to him. And Paul got saved. What an incredible uh, transformation that is only possible by the Lord. And so he goes into the city and he immediately begins to preach Jesus Christ. And everybody is confused. They thought, we heard about you, Saul, but you can't be Saul because Saul came to persecute the church and you're preaching for the church. What in the world is going on? So they were confused for a little bit until they realized this is not just a, a hoax. This is for real. And they tried to kill Paul. And so now they're trying to kill Paul once he had to escape out of a basket over the wall of a city. And so now he's uh, trying to uh, escape out of that persecution. And he faced a lot of persecution himself. In Acts chapter number 17, verse number 5, the Bible says, But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they had found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Whom Jason hath received, and these also do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is one king, another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city, and when they heard these things, uh, when they heard these things, and when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. See, this persecution was not in Jerusalem or in Judea, this persecution was in Thessalonica. So here they are, they're now newly saved, serving the Lord, following the Lord. People don't like that. And so a big mob comes up and they storm the house of Jason where apparently they were having meetings and they couldn't find Paul, they couldn't find Silas. And so uh, they grabbed Jason and they grabbed some of the others and, and brought them before the rulers. And, and they, they began that persecution there in that own city. And, and so they recognized some of that persecution there in Thessalonica. This is what I remember it was like in Judea. I remember what it was like in Jerusalem. I remember when we were doing the persecution. This is exactly the kind of thing that we were doing. And then in verse number 13, Paul and Silas had left the city and went to the next city, Berea. And in Berea, the Bible says, but when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached to Paul at Berea, 
they came hither also and stirred up the people. So you remember Paul, he was there in Jerusalem and he tried to stamp out the church and then uh, the church started to spread. People started to go to other cities. And so he said, oh, there's Christians over there. I'm going to go over there and persecute them as well and try to put them in jail. And so he went over there and what happened here in Thessalonica, those individuals, when they heard that the church had started in Berea, you know what they did? Is that it's not enough for us to stop it here. We got to stop it over there too. And so you could see that Paul, he recognizes some of these things. He recognizes the level of persecution. And so he was there. He moved to the next city. The, those that were persecuting the church came to that city. He had to go on and he went to the city of Athens. And, and they, they basically told him, hey, Paul, maybe you should lay low for a little while. Keep quiet. All right. Every city you've been in, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, there's been an uproar. You've been jailed and, and kicked out of the city. Maybe you just want to keep quiet for a little while. So he goes to Athens. And, and uh, I can imagine in Athens, he's wondering, I wonder what happened to that church. You know, they didn't have the internet. They didn't have Instagram where they would post about, you know, a big event that they had or a fellowship gathering that they had. They, he didn't know. There was no phones, no telephones, nothing. He had no way of knowing. And so he's gone to the next city, gone again to the next city. And so you could imagine he's, he's thinking and wondering, I, I wonder how they're doing. I wonder if they had to flee away just like some of the believers in Jerusalem had to flee away. I wonder if they're still being faithful, even though there's persecution. I wonder if they're still there. I wonder if they still even meet together. I wonder if they still have worship services. I wonder if they're still studying and gathering together and learning about the Lord and encouraging others and telling others about Jesus Christ and the gospel. I wonder what is, what, what's happening over there. Are they growing? Are they faithful? Are they strong or are they weak? Are they healthy or are they sick? Are they godly or have they slipped back into worldly ways, the ways that they were living before they got saved? He didn't know. He wasn't sure. Because he knew that strong persecution had the possibility of, of, of pushing Christians to stop living for the Lord. Not only that, Paul had the desire to go back and to help them but he says that Satan is opposing him in verse number 17. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. They had to leave the city, but he said, oh, we, we have to go back. Verse 18, wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again. He said, we tried and we tried and we tried again, but Satan hindered us. He said, we really tried to go back there to go back to you all, to see how you're doing, to encourage you, to help you, to strengthen you. Because he knew persecution was great. And these believers needed help. And he's wondering, I wonder how they're doing. In chapter 3, verse number 1, he says, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, our brother, and minister of God, and our fellow, servant, uh, fellow laborer in the gospel of, God, uh, uh, gospel of Christ. So you see what Paul does. He says, I can't take it anymore. I have to find out how they're doing. And he sent his very best, Timothy. 
We know Timothy was like a son to Paul and he loved him and he encouraged him and he strengthened him and he, and he trusted him. And so when he had a job that needed to be done, he took Timothy and he would send him on that, uh, on that duty. And so he sent him over to Thessalonica and he says, find that church, see how they are doing and encourage them to live for God. And it says that he sent him to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed there too. And so he sends Timothy over there to tell them, be strong, be of good courage. I know the persecution is heavy, but don't give up. Continue to follow God. Trust the Lord. Be faithful. Be a witness. Tell others about the gospel and love each other, encourage each other. And so Timothy goes. And Timothy honestly is not 100% confident of what exactly he would find. Maybe the church was great. Maybe the church wasn't doing great. Maybe he would have trouble finding the church. Verse number four, For verily when we were with you, we told you that, ye, that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass. And you know, for this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. But now... When Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity and that you have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what things can we render to God again for you for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God? You know what Timothy found when he went to Thessalonica? He found a wonderful church. He found a church that had lost their founders. Paul was gone. Silas was gone. Who's there? Just, just the newly saved believers. And so Timothy goes over there, and you know what he finds? People of joy and people of love. And they're loving the Lord, and they love Paul, and they love the Word of God, and they desire to continue to, to be faithful. They were standing strong. What a wonderful joy for Paul to know. I put in all of this labor into these little kids, first of all, to see them to be saved, to be born again, and then to grow. And I had to leave after just a few short weeks. What a joy to see them to stand. And isn't that the joy of parents, fathers? You invest all of this time into your kids. You know, you see them to be born and you sacrifice for them and, and you give up for them and you plan your life around them and you, and you support them, you bear their burdens and, and you do all of these things. What a joy to see them to grow up and to stand and to be faithful and to be on their own and to be able to see what God had done and to say, you know what? Praise the Lord that they're born again. Any soul that is saved, their eternity is changed forever. But also what a joy to see them, not just to be saved, but to stand for the Lord, to stand for the Bible, to stand for the people of God, and to love them, to be faithful to them, to encourage them, despite all the persecutions that they were facing. Uh, I'm sure that their friends laughed at them. I'm sure that their bosses put them down and mocked them in front of their coworkers. I'm sure that the government was persecuting them. But they continue to fight the good fight of faith. We see that Paul writes to Timothy, his son in the Lord, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. We know that Paul was faithful. We know that Paul served. We know that Paul, he finished his race. 
But he says in verse number eight, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me, give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. You know what Paul is saying? This is not just for me, this is for you. And Paul is saying, I don't want this just for me. I want you to do the same thing. I want you to stand and I want you to be faithful and I want you to run the race. And so we see that Paul, after investing so much into these little children in the Lord, first of all, we saw them to be saved. Then we saw them to be standing. Thirdly, we see kids who are serving. Verse number 12. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you, to the end that he may establish our hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Not just for the church to be there and to continue to exist, but a church full of people who are serving each other, loving each other, encouraging each other so that they might continue to be faithful. You see, you see the church people to serve one another. And I think that's the goal of fathers, to see their kids not just to support themselves, but also to support others. I mean, that's what we fathers do, right? We're not just supporting ourselves, we're supporting our kids. We're supporting others. We're sacrificing for others. And what do we do that for? So that one day they could do the same for others. Hey, all of us here today that are serving, you're maybe teaching a class, you're giving your tithes and your offerings, you're, you're involved in a ministry, you know, we're investing into these new believers so that they could do the same, so that they would minister, so that one day we would have a preacher to be raised up in the church, to have a pastor that we would have people who would give faithfully and give their tithes and, and have people to come and to serve in different ministries, teach a life connection class, teach a kid's class, serve in the nursery, maybe just to be faithful, to greet uh, visitors as they come in, just to invite others to the church, share the gospel with somebody. That's the goal, to be able to raise them up so that they might do the same things also. Over here on the side, we have the, uh, the purposes of the church, we call them. There's three of them over there. I don't reference them all the time. Don't, maybe don't reference them as much as I should. But you see them revolving, first, around, first of all, around the Lord, around Jesus Christ. Now, the first step, of course, is what? We must come to Christ. We must be saved. We must trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We must be born again. That's step number one. Step number two, then, is we must grow in the Lord. We must grow in Christ. What do we do in the church services? We hear the word of God as it is, uh, the bread and, and the meat, and we gain in strength. And so what do we do when we come in church services? Hopefully you're growing in the Lord. And then also we ought to serve through Christ. Why do we get saved and then grow? The last step of that is so that we could do the same for others. Somebody shared the gospel with you if you're saved here today so that you might be saved. You know, that person shared the gospel with you so that you might be saved. God wants you to grow so that you might share the gospel with somebody else so that they might be saved. You know, God has provided for you here at the church through pastors, life connection leaders, uh, class teachers to be able to help you to understand the word and to grow. God desires that you would grow so that you might be able to give to others so that somebody else might hear the word so that somebody else might be encouraged so that they might have their questions to be answered that's the goal of the church not just to have godly fathers but to raise up the next generation of godly fathers 
2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 1 says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So Paul thinks of Timothy as his son. So you have the father of raising up his son, investing into the son so that the son could be his own father so that he would invest into the next generation so that they would be raised up to be fathers and give to their own the next generation. And so that's the goal, that we would be able to raise up another generation of fathers who invest into their sons. And so you see this investment that Paul had made. It was a heavy investment. It was a lot of work, a lot of sacrifice, financial sacrifice, physical sacrifice, emotional sacrifice, spiritual sacrifice, not just for a moment, but year after year after year after year. He's doing this for decades, sacrificing, serving, and fathering. You know, you do that for years and years and decades, and even after your kids grow up and they move away, there's still some fathering that is there and helpful with the sons. And, and uh, what, what is the result of all of that? God's desire for godly fathers as they invest we have these wonderful results of number one, kids that are saved. Number two, kids who continue to stand. And thirdly, kids who serve others.